Today, I'm so glad that you're here. We are going to continue to confess who Jesus is and who God is. We're going to confess our dependence upon that God today. And we're going to confess that the way to work out your salvation is by being obedient when that God speaks to us. And so that's what we're looking at today, working out your salvation. Work out what God has worked in. It's a beautiful thing. We're in the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 2, verses 12 through 18 today. And being the fact that I teach the first service, I can cut some things that didn't quite work, but I think you're a little live crowd in here. You'll catch some things they didn't catch in that first hour, no doubt. So here we go. Philippians chapter 2. This is the beautiful thing. Think about working out. We are obsessed in our culture about working out. I have a lifetime membership at Gold's. I got it in 1979. I don't think I've darkened. (laughs) I haven't been in years. Then my wife bought these Richard Simmons tapes back in the 80s, and we actually did. Anybody else? All right. Confess your dependence. So I would actually kick and scream. I wouldn't wear those striped leotard. No, I wouldn't do that. But we would exercise, and then we graduated because we wanted to work out and be more fit. So then we got uh, Billy Blanks and Ty Bow, and we were kicking and Man, we do down, this down in our basement in Tennessee, and I would just be, I would be just killing myself in the morning trying to get out of bed. It was intense. And now I don't do anything but walk 30 minutes a day for my heart. So I want you to know, and then I eat Bluebell at 11. <laughs> but here's what I want to tell you. This is important because we're in the part of the passage where you have to realize that context always rules. The context in Philippians chapter 2 where we've been is relationships. 2 verses 1 through 4, it's about relationships, how we treat one another in humility, in unity together, the bond of grace and peace, and we've talked about that. And then last week, we looked at the humiliation of Christ. We looked at what is called the kenosis theory, what theologians would call it. That was Christ emptying himself, not of the possession of deity, but the expression of deity. And he was fully God and he was fully man, but he came down to this earth in order to uh, save us in order to walk a perfect life and live a perfect life in order that he might not empty himself of the possession of deity, but the expression of it. So he laid aside all of his rights as God, but he was still God. So that was a tremendous passage about humility, the humility of Christ. And then today we are still talking about relationships. You see, our relationships with one another speak a lot louder than our witness to lost people. It's how we treat one another. It's relationships with one another. So Paul's going to talk about working out. I've learned some things about working out. It's better if you work out with a trainer than with a uh, group of people. And here's why. Because a group of people are fickle. They kind of don't feel like working out very long, but a trainer that you pay actually invests in the trainee. If you think about this, a trainer knows much more about the trainee than the trainee knows about himself. So a trainer is always pushing the trainee to the limits. The trainer is always saying, if you want to get good results, here's what you need to do. Close your mouth to pie. Push away from the table. Do the things that I'm telling you to do, and you will see the results. Those people that go to the gym have kind of a walk about them, if you've ever seen it. They kind of have a glide in their stride because they're trying to work out something in their body that produces an external appearance so that people can see what they look like. They can see the visible change 
of the invisible entity on the inside. Now, here's the point with Jesus. When Paul says to work out your salvation, he's talking about working outside externally what God has worked in. So it's not so that we can have a glide in our stride like people at the gym do so they can be seen by others. It's so that Jesus can be seen in us that we can have the invisible entity of Christ in us visible to the world, working out what God has worked inside of you. That's where Paul is. And he's still talking about relationships here. So this is very important. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved, and we came last week, remember God uh, validated Jesus and said, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So you've got this elevated view of Jesus. And then he says, now work out what God has worked in. Don't work for salvation. You can't do it. You work out what God has worked in. You don't work for salvation. You receive salvation by faith expressed through grace in your life. You don't work for it. You work it out once you've received it by faith. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. The word therefore ties everything he's been saying. It's therefore, in other words, context rules. Context, context, context. Real estate, location, location, location is the key. Bible reading, location, location, location is the key. These verses are located in the context of relationships. He said, let this attitude last week be in you which was in Christ Jesus. He didn't say let this action. He said let this attitude So that's the context, the attitude which determines your actions. That's what he's saying here. So now we're working out what God has worked out in us, and we do so through obedience. Look at the text. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, this doesn't mean that they've always obeyed perfectly. Only Jesus has done that. But in our lives, as we obey and we fail because failure's a part of the Christian life, mistakes are a part of the Christian walk, no one is perfect, we're on a journey. What it means here to the Philippians is when they got off track, they had what was called confession and repentance. As a Christian, we continually confess, we continually repent in our walk. So when we don't obey Christ, we confess that to God and we confess dependence upon Him and then He puts us back on the path of obedience. Notice the text. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence. You know what causes a person to obey? Listen carefully. You can write this down. Love does. Love causes a person to obey. See, love produces obedience. Not law, not a bunch of list of things, but love does. When your motivation is love, then you can obey out of love. So you have to understand this, that God says you can be obedient. Paul says here in Philippians, you can be obedient because Christ has loved you to a point to where you can respond out of that well of love and then you're obedient. If you're obedient because you want to perform, that's one thing. That's when people look at you and you perform in your obedience to please them. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you obey Christ because Christ has passionately put his love and deposited grace in you. So now love motivates one to obedience, not performance. All of us can obey when someone's looking. 
All of us can do well when someone's looking. In fact, we like to stroke our flesh and think that we're really doing good. So when you think of obedience, the word obedience here in the original language means this, to obey without asking any questions. When's the last time you obeyed Christ without asking any questions? When's the last time you just said yes to him when he revealed his will to you? See, that's what the word means. But what motivated us was the fact that he loved us. And so let me see if I can describe it like this. Take your left hand. Put your phone down. Get off the internet. Put your left hand up like this. No, I'm just kidding. I know you're on Philippians 2, 12 through 18 Bible app. We're good. So put your left hand like this. The left hand, let's call this is the tension between obedience and dependence. This is obedience here. Take your right hand and clasp it like this. Watch this. When you try to pull those two, there's tension. There's tension between obedience and there's tension between dependence. And that's what obedience is. When you pull, there's a tension there. So when you talk about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, there's a tension with obedience and dependence. I totally depend on God because he's loved me to a position of obedience. And when I say yes to him and I obey him, I'm cooperating with the Spirit. So the Spirit says yes. The dependence over here says yes. God said, I'll provide the power. You provide the surrender. And we have a 200% relationship. And Paul says, as you have always obeyed. Obedience in our life. When is the last time you have obeyed Christ? You did exactly what he told you to do. Even if it didn't make sense to anybody else. Even as the song says, you didn't feel like it. See, feelings are fickle. You've got to walk by faith, which is trust beyond yourself. You have to walk in the faith of grace of Jesus. So here's what he says here. Jesus provides the ability and the resources for us to be obedient. He doesn't just say, now go be obedient. And we go, oh, okay, 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 okay. I'll just go do it in my flesh. No, he provides the resources to be obedient, and then he gives us the power to walk in that obedience. Do you see? See, some people have an imbalance in the grace message. If you say it's all man, then that nullifies grace. If you say it's all God, then he doesn't need man. Here's what it is. It's all God all the time. It's 100% God's power. Listen, it is 100% his power. That's who he is. Watch this. But it's 100% my surrender and obedience to the power that is mine in Christ. That's obedience. That's what he's saying here. So don't jump into working out your salvation until you understand obedience. So actually, a person is working out their salvation when they're obedient. That's what the text is saying here. Let me see if I can give you an illustration besides this one. For those of you that are grandparents, uh, when the grandkids get dropped off at your house, they can't jump on the bed at home. That's not allowed. Because they live under what is called at home a forced obedience. As long as mom is there, it's forced obedience. I won't jump on the bed because mom is there. It's a forced obedience. Remove mom from the picture, have grandparents pick up the grandkids, and all of a sudden we have a jumping party because the person that is removed is the one who is demanding the obedience. And because they're little sinners, snatch, whatever you want to call them, because of who they are, that's who they are. It's not who God is. Their environment determines their obedience. May it never be said of us that our environment determines our obedience. May it be said of us that Christ determines our obedience, and he's watching us all the time. 
That's just verse 12, and we're not even through. Look at the text. This is powerful. After you get obedience right, the power of it, then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't work out your own salvation if you don't know what salvation is. And a lot of people don't know what salvation is. God's saying, work out, Paul's saying, work out your salvation. But in order for you to work out your salvation, you're going to have to know what salvation is. So that's where a lot of people struggle. They don't know what salvation is, therefore they don't know how to work it out. Let me see if I can help you. This may be repetition from Ephesians in a couple of places. But we are saved, first of all, from the penalty of sin. Salvation means deliverance. That's what the word means here, deliverance. So we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. When Christ comes into our life in the power of the Holy Spirit, he erases the record that stood against us. So if you're here this morning and you're living in sin and you've never had Jesus come to live in your life and you've never had the penalty of sin taken care of in your life, then all the things, all the record that God is keeping, that stands against you. And so what happens when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, we trust the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then Jesus takes care of the penalty of sin. So he says, there's no way you can make the payment for sin, so therefore trust me. I've already paid for sin on the cross. You owe a debt you can't pay. I can't pay a debt. I can't do anything for this. So God does it all for me in Jesus Christ. And when Christ comes into my heart, I have had the penalty of sin taken care of. But that's what a lot of people say, hey, I'm going to heaven. I missed hell, I'm going to heaven. Listen, I don't want a relationship here that just gets me out of hell. I want a relationship here that tells me how to live a little heaven on earth while I'm on my way to heaven, not a ticket that gets me out of hell. So the penalty of sin is where you trust Christ as your Savior. But if you want to know what salvation is, if you want to work out what God has worked in you, you got to know more than just the penalty of sin you got to know that Jesus has rescued you from the power of sin. The power of sin. Because of his death, penalty of sin, the power of his resurrection, Jesus Christ, because we have a malignant problem in our lives, it's called sin. Sin used to dominate us apart from Jesus. So if you're going to work out your salvation, you have to understand that your sin has not only been taken care of and forgiven, but you've been given a new power inside of you to overcome sin. Not your flesh overcoming sin, but Jesus overcoming you, which gives you the ability in the malignant areas of your life to not say, oh, I just give in to this sin or the devil made me do it. No, you now have the power. Working out your salvation is understanding deliverance from the power of sin. Sin no longer has a grip on me because Jesus has now gripped a hold of me. And because Jesus has gripped a hold of me, I have no excuses anymore in my walk of faith. I fall, I fail, I have flesh just like you do, but we can't blame the devil or blame somebody else. It's our fault when we sin because we have the power in us not to do it. And the only way that you can yield is understanding that Christ is in you who is taking care of the... Sin dominated me, but now Christ in me dominates me. And as I walk by faith in his word, he begins to show me his power. Because things that used to trip me up, places I used to go, guess what? I walk away and I go, I used to do that. And then I go, I don't even have a desire to do that anymore. Thank God for the victory that's in Jesus Christ. 
Because he took it away. He took the power away to do those things that caused me to trip up. So here's the thing. Now watch this. So we're saved, salvation, working it out. We're saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. And one day we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Because all that we have left to do on this earth is die. Death, but Jesus has already taken care of death because of his death, resurrection from the dead. I don't have to fear death, but one day the stuff that I deal with on a daily basis, I will no longer deal with. So he saved me from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. So now if I'm going to live in obedience to him, and if I'm going to work out his salvation in me, then I can understand the totality of what he's done for me. And when I understand that he is so much bigger inside of me than I can even fathom or think of, I just need to yield to him. And when I work it out, I work out what God has worked in. It's called grace. And grace is never a license to sin. It's the power to do as you please, as God empowers you. Now watch this. This is important for you to understand because this is where some of you might be. It's where I live at times. Listen, I'm not teaching you as an expert. I'm telling you I'm on a journey with you. I struggle with the same thing. I hear myself preach it. I walk over there to hand out Bibles and I go, oh Lord, it's me who stands in the need of prayer. So if you think that I'm up here in a tower, you're wrong. I'm with you. I struggle with the same stuff you do, and I buy bread and milk at the same place you do. Don't you ever put a pastor on a pedestal and say he lives in some ivory tower. That is wrong. We should never do that. And unfortunately, I would tell you, don't send your money to those who do. That's just for free. Okay, here we go. So work out, watch this, your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm working out this grace that has been worked in me by grace through faith, and I do it with fear and trembling. The word fear means to have awe, to have a respect of God, to to set God apart as holy otherness. God is so far above me. He's so holy. He's so righteous. He's so perfect that I can't fathom that. So I have a perfect respect and honor for who he is. We live in a society that no one fears God anymore. And so it says that if you're going to work out your salvation, you do it with reverence and fear and honor of who God is. See, when you fear God, you don't have to fear anybody else. When you have a reverence, fear of God, you don't have to fear anybody else. So, so fearing God means I take God seriously. So we as a church in this transition, listen, let's focus on who God is. Let's focus on who Jesus is. Let's walk in the fear of God. Let's work out our salvation with fear, a holy otherness that God is totally holy. He's totally righteous. That's who he is, as the song said. And guess what? Now that I am in him, that's who I am. Everything that he is is now in me. I received all the blessings of Christ when Christ came into me. I'm not waiting for a second one or a third one. I got everything I need to live this life that pertains to life and godliness. And so do you. No excuses. Work it out with fear. Look at the text. And trembling. What does that mean? Let me give you the definition of the word trembling. The word trembling here means not the fear of a slave, but the caution of a servant. It means because I respect and honor God in my life and I fear him, it's two sides of the same coin. Fear is reverence and awe. Because I fear God, watch this. I'm afraid of doing anything that would cause harm to his name. I'm afraid to walk in a way 
that would bring disgrace and dishonor to the name of God. Because I fear him in the right way. Because you see, I now have a healthy fear of the uh, omnipotent power of God. Because God is all powerful, I want to work out my salvation in a way that people see my life to see that I do fear the power of God. And I fear the power of God in the right way. So don't, don't dismiss this thought of uh, being afraid of God. Being afraid of God is biblical when you understand what the word fear means. It means to reverence God. So I walk in the fear of God. And because God is omnipresent, it means that as a Christian, as a believer who is working out his salvation, that I actually fear doing anything that would cause any disgrace upon his name. I fear going places where I shouldn't go. I fear that because I have a reverence for God and I fear it in a healthy way to say, God, I don't want you to find me anywhere that I shouldn't be doing anything that I shouldn't do. Now watch this. When I say that, he knows everywhere I've been. He knows every thought I have. But think about that. In his omniscience, he knows everything. So every thought that comes into my mind, I, I want to live in fear of him because I want thoughts of my mind. Let this attitude be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. I want to put my life into the word of God and let the word of God put the, its words and life into me so that my attitude is right. So I do fear God and I fear God in a healthy way. And I tremble what Paul says. He says here that with fear and trembling, I tremble. For the fact that, that we as a church may take this interim time to just put it in neutral. Okay, let's just ride this thing out. Listen to me. We can't just ride this thing out. We've got a mission to accomplish. We've got to move forward. Working out your salvation is the idea that there's a goal in mind. And we've got to cross the goal together as a family of faith. And we've got to build community together by the grace and the power of God. So we can't work out our own salvation with fear and trembling and say, let's just sit down and wait for the new pastor to come. We can't do that under God. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Who's doing this work? It's God. That's who he is. That's what the song said. That's who he is. It's God. Here's two things you might want to write down. One, there is a God. Number two, you're not him. I'm serious. You're not him. I'm not him. There is a God. For it is God, look at the text, who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So this is God's energy. The word for work is energy. Um, I want you to know when I finish the sermon, I have been here since, uh, oh, today it was a little later, about 9 o'clock. So you've been here since 8, 7, so much. Uh, I'm in the ministry. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what. I am tired to the point of exhaustion when I go home. Sometimes I don't go eat. I go to bed. Uh, sometimes you can tell my voice, I put everything I can into these two services, into asking God to do his work in me. But listen, I want you to know, for it is God who works in you. I am tired to the point of exhaustion, but I am most encouraged to the fact that it is God doing the work. Being tired to the point of exhaustion is a good thing because that means that we're doing something, but it's not my strength that's bringing these messages. It's not my power that's uh, being the voice in the, in the face of Sagemont. It's God who works in me. So yes, I need rest at the end, but it's not my power. It's God's power. So you just pray for me that God will give me energy and passion to communicate his truth, for it is God who works in you. Listen to me. It is God who's working in you. It is God who's working in your eye connect. It is God who's working 
working in your family. Don't ever think you have the power to do God's work. You do not. You do not. We yield to him. That's what Paul's saying. It's so beautiful for it's God who works in you. You know, probably next week, probably one of these linemen at the Super Bowl is going to intercept a passer, pick up a fumble. You know what they're going to do? They're going to run. They never know what it's like to cross the finish line. That's what the workout word means, to work. It is God who works in you. It means to cross the finish line. One of these linemen may grab the football. They're going to run. You know what they're going to do on about the 10-yard line? They're going to drop the ball in celebration. They're going to go like this, and the ball's going to be there. And they're going to celebrate a victory that they don't have because they didn't carry the ball across the goal. I want to see us as a church in the power of the gospel and the truth of grace, together for grace. I want us to carry the ball all the way to the end. I want us to finish well. God is not going to say, good and faithful staff member when I stand before him. God help me if he says, good and faithful staff member. He's going to say, I'm hopeful by the power of Jesus working his salvation in me and through me that he will say, good and faithful servant. Servant to you, servant to me. So it's not a good and faithful staff member or a good and faithful eye connect teacher. It's a good and faithful servant. We serve, we work out our salvation because God has worked his grace in us. Look at the text. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The word will means it's his will. So when Christ comes into my heart, he deposits his will into my life. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. If you want your desires to align, if you want your aspiration to align with him, then let God put his will and deposit it in your life. So if you want to desire the right things, delight in the Lord and let him give you the desires of your heart. So when we talk about God's will, he says it right here, for it is God who works in you both to will. This is his will. When he places his desires and his will in me, then that changes my want to. It changes my wanter. The places I used to go, I don't want to go there anymore because those places are dark. Those places are sinful. Those places are places you don't want to mess with anymore. But because Christ in me has deposited his will in me, my desire is now to desire the things that he desires, not what I used to desire. So if God hasn't changed your will, your want to, your desire, then there's a good chance you may not be a Christian. Because that's what he does. Don't tell me Jesus comes into your life and nothing changes. Do not tell me that. There's no way that can happen. It is impossible in Scripture for someone to invite the king of the universe who wants to stick out all over and say, I'm just the same person I was before I prayed that prayer. Listen, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's his life that saves you. You can pray a prayer all you want. But if your heart is not in it, if your heart intent, if you're not confessing and repenting and saying, I repent and bow before Jesus, it says in Romans 5.10 that it is his life that saves us. Now, prayer can get you to that point, but it is Jesus that saves us. That's what he's saying. Verse 13, both to will and to do, to will and to do. So where's the tension here? So does God do it all or do I do some of it? Yes. Seriously, yes. A farmer plants. I know a little bit about farming. A farmer plants. A farmer tills the ground. A farmer fertilizes. A farmer uh, does what a farmer does in preparation for the soil. 
But the farmer does all that he can do, and then he relies on God to pour the rain, pour the sunshine. So God says, listen, I'm going to do my part. I'm ultimately in charge, so I'm going to do this, but the farmer can't sit there and do nothing. It's not all God and no farmer, and it's not all farmer and no God. It's 100% the farmer doing, working in the will of God, doing what he's supposed to do, but it's 100% God's power, so it's a 200% relationship. It's 200%. I've said this before. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100%. 100%. Think about that. That's what he's talking about here, our relationship. Now watch this. For it is God who works in you to will and to work or to do for his good pleasure. Matt's going to get rough. Then he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. I didn't write this. Paul did. Send me an email. I'll be glad to answer it. Do all things without disputing and complaining. The word complaining there means to grumble. Uh, have you ever known people to murmur and grumble? So Paul says, do all things without complaining. He's just told us to work out our salvation in obedience with fear and trembling. And then if somebody comes along and they begin to complain and whine and murmur and grumble, guess what? It contradicts their salvation. You cannot complain about things and be surrendered totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is counterculture to Christianity and the Bible. And some people think they have the gift of complaining. Not here. I've been in churches before. But think about this. If Christ puts joy in you and Christ puts joy in me, a person who is complaining and disputing is joyless. They're not filled with joy like Paul's talking about. They're not filled with the fullness of the life of Christ because their focus has become on themselves. And here's what a person who is complaining and disputing does. They have an egocentric attitude about themselves and they have elevated themselves above everybody else and they want to tell everybody else what they should be doing. Have you ever gotten into a theological conversation with someone who thinks they're smarter than you. Guess what? They have an elevated view of themselves. And they will look at you and look down on you because you haven't arrived to the level they are. That's what Paul's saying. People complain and they dispute. When we complain and when we dispute, dispute takes it to a whole nother level. When we dispute and complain, then we have just said no to the Christ life of Jesus and we've said yes to self and then self Complaining and disputing, it breaks relationships, it causes churches to split, it causes families to split. So what is the answer to complaining and disputing? Yield to Jesus and stop it. Then here's what he said, that you may become something, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. The word blameless means without fault. The word harmless means without mixture. So what Paul is saying here, when we treat one another the way that we should treat one another, and we don't argue and complain, and we're not divisive, and we're not always sowing discord, and we're not sowing disunity, then we can shine as lights to the world. But you see, if you argue and complain and dispute, then all you're focused on is what you're doing, and you're missing the whole reason that we're here. We are not here for ourselves. We're here for a crooked and perverse generation, verse 15 among whom you should shine as lights in the world. The word lights here is luminaria. It means to receive light 
and then release that light and then reflect that light. We have been saved by the grace of God. Listen carefully. So Christ has put his light in me. The luminaria of Christ, Christ in me is light. I lived in darkness. I now have light coming out of my life, not because of me, but because of him. So now that Christ has lit my fire and lit my flame and put light into me, what I do is I take the light that's been given to me that I receive from him. I'm not the source of light. He's the source of light. I receive this light from him, but I'm now trying to show people that the same way I got light by grace through faith and repentance and confession is the same way. How long does it take? Till this fire hits that candle and that candle can stand on its own. That's what it takes. It takes the light of Christ in me and the light of Christ in you. And when Christ comes into a person's heart, he lights that person's heart up. And the fire burns forever and ever in him because he will never die. His light is free, eternity. And so Christ in me is the light. I now have received the light. I am now releasing the light, but I'm just a reflection of the light. I didn't come up with the source of light. He did. Somebody else did. It's just like the moon. I think this is right. The moon has no light in and of itself except that which it receives from the sun. So the sun is the source of light. And when the darkness of night falls, when you see the beautiful moon, it's because the sun is reflecting that light onto the moon and the moon reflects that light to the darkness of night. And so the idea is the same way in the Christian life. If we're going to shine as lights in a perverse and crooked generation, that means a twisted, bent uh, generation, a generation that says no to God and says yes to man, a generation that's lost its way. If I'm going to shine his lights, then I have to make sure that Christ lives in me. I have to make sure I've received the light for myself. But as soon as I've received the light, I release the light to someone else. So the idea is this, when we're going to shine as lights in the community of faith, we build community together. We build community together. Your light is lit. My light is lit. The purpose of Sagemont Church is to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. It's not to take my light and sing the little song, this little light of mine. I've got my little home place. I've got my little business. I'm just going to keep that little light to myself. No, it's that I have received light, and I have now trying to get that light to somebody else. And when somebody else can stand in their own light, then I can release and be back to who I am. But then that person will take the gospel to the next person. And so we'll begin to see what it means to shine as lights into the world. Think about that. Now notice how he closes. This is important. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may not have run in vain or labored in vain. So what Paul is saying, if we're going to shine as lights to the world, we're going to have to hold fast to the word of Christ. In Philippians, the word of Christ is Christ himself. But you can't hold on to the word of Christ until you hold on to the word of God. The word of life, the word of Christ, the word of God, you can see it in Scripture. It's synonymous. So we have Christ in us. We have the living word of Christ, so we hold fast to that. He says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That's the rapture of the church. So the idea is that I am shining as a light to the world. I'm releasing my light to the world, but as I'm releasing, I'm holding fast to the word of God, the foundation of the word of God, the roots that are put down in. The anchor of my soul is the word of God. As I spend time in the Word of God, I can shine to you. If I don't spend any time in the Word of God, I don't shine to you. We as a church need to spend time in God's Word so that the light will shine. 
Listen, it's not about the lights and the flash and the pop and the smoke and the fog and the candles. It's about Monday morning when you open God's word and bow before him and say, yes, God, speak to me. I have nothing, no agenda. And God opens the pages of his word and there's no flash and there's no lights and there's no pop and there's no candles and there's no nice seating and there's no great lobby. And God says, I want to speak to you. Think about that. We hold fast to God's word. We hold fast, and that word fast means to hold on. We hold on to God's word. So it's kind of like a boat when you're a skier, and you're at the back of the boat, and you've got the rope, and you're holding on. Now, you can't pull yourself out of the water. That's the boat's job. It's God's power that's going to bring you through to work out your salvation, but you hold on to the rope, and you hold fast to the word of God so that when the power of God begins to move, you're holding on to the word of God, and the word of God is holding on to you. And we don't hold back. We hold on. We hold on to the word of God. This is our source of life, and we have many resources where you can find out how to study God's word. I connect teachers. The, the way that I teach is the way that I study. You say, how do you study? The way I teach. Pay attention to how I teach. You'll know how I study. That's the way it is. It's, it's our life. Now, here's what he said. I'm coming to the end. Sorry. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may have not run in vain. The word run means to have discipline and determination in our walk with Christ. Not our power, his discipline, his determination. Being poured into us as we work out salvation. And then he says something here. Or labored in vain. Don't miss that. The word labored here means um, the idea would be that he labored in a way. Paul was a tent maker. He was a weaver. Uh, so he would weave the tapestry of a tent. And what he's saying here is, I, don't want, I want to run with discipline and determination, but I want to weave with the passion of precision and the ability to have patience. So he's a tent maker. He was a runner. And he's saying on the day of Christ, I want to be able to come to the place where I cross the finish line with discipline, determination, patience, passion, and purpose. And that all has to do with my life in Christ. Then he says, verse 17, coming to the end. And yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also are glad and rejoice with me. Paul was talking about his death. He thought he was going to die. Remember, he's in prison. The church is in Philippi. He's in prison. The church is in Philippi. There's distance. He said, as I'm being poured out as a drink offering, it uses the Old Testament here. So they would take a sacrifice and they would pour it out. But Paul was talking about the drink offering is um, he's pouring his life out for the sake of the gospel. It's Christ has saved him. Now he's living through him and this may be the end for him. So he says the, the idea of pouring a drink offering would be they would have sacrifices in biblical days and then they would pour a liquid on top of the sacrifice to make it a sweet smelling aroma. Here's what Paul's saying to the church at Philippi. In your relationships with one another, if God takes me home, I pray that my life has been a liquid on top of the grace of God where it's sweet smelling and you could continue to live in unity, not disputing, not arguing with one another, not taking offense with one another, but I pray that my life has been lived in such a way and offering to God. We sacrifice, that's our life to God. An offering is his sacrifice to me, what he's done for me on the cross. Paul says, I pray the liquid that's been poured is a sweet one. I pray that for me. I pray that for you. Think about that. Do you know how many churches split today because they can't get along? 
God help us if that ever happens. And you know what? Don't you think the devil wouldn't want to make it happen right here at Sage Mile? Oh, it's a flagship church. Oh, you had a pastor for 53 years. You know what the devil says? Good. That's a bigger target for me. And what he'll start doing is using people walking in their flesh instead of working out their salvation. And they won't be a drink offering. They won't be a sweet sacrifice of liquid poured on the sacrifice. It'll be flesh, flesh, flesh. And if you don't think the devil can take us out and destroy us, you've got another thing coming. But watch this. Christ in me has already taken care of the devil and has already defeated him. But he can still, where I allow him and you allow him to be a part of any situation, he can take it and run with it. And I've seen churches go down. Because people couldn't get along on the inside. Hey, the reason we can get along on the inside is because who lives on me on the inside? It's Christ in me. Christ in you. Christ in me. Christ in you? Yeah. You? For, for real? And you're probably going, Christ in you? Yeah, for real. You know me, but I've been saved by the grace of God. 